0: getting to be the male counselor for our teams and also be a team leader. And the way that that works is they line all of the leaders up and they go through the different age groups and you're supposed to pick people out. And usually people try to get people from their church and, and such. And some of the counselors have been there many years and they um, know once they get their people from their church, they know who to pick. They've seen them from the time they were young children and they know who to pick who's going to help them win all of those games, and some of the teams that were ahead of us were from churches of four and five hundred people with youth groups almost as big as our church. And so to get to fifth place against the competition that we had was actually pretty good. Not just in the, not just, pre, not, and even in the memory verses to do well against the kind of competition that was there. There was some teams that had 19, 17, 18-year-olds grown up in church their whole lives like, like, um, like the people who came from our church, but several more years of camp experience under their belt. And so to do well against that competition was very impressive. And everyone who came from our church both passed the Bible quiz and said all 30 verses the first time. And I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'd want to sign up for memorizing 30 verses in three days. And I certainly would not want to sign up for saying 30 verses, word perfect, without stopping, memorizing it in three days. I think that's very impressive. And very few people on any team manage to get that accomplished. Very few people do that. Of the hundreds of teams that are there, I don't think there's even ten or even five, perhaps, that do it um, on any given year. And so that was really a blessing to be with people from our church and know that they had a good attitude. And even though we lost all the games, we still got lots of spirit points for cheering and shouting and and, uh, being persistent in cheering and shouting and trying to... They they give points. If you cheer nice and loud and you cheer enthusiastically, they give you points. So we did pretty good at that. So we got some points from that. but the thing that was the blessing, the biggest blessing to me personally was last year was my first year. And so I was kind of, I wasn't a leader, I was just an assistant. So I was just kind of hanging back trying to figure out what was going on. But this year, I, I was um, a little bit more aware of what was going on. And I got to work with a lot of different young men at the altar at, at the end of every preaching service. Even in, they have two, two preachers at night. And after every sermon, they have a very extended altar call. And what they do is they have the young people come forward and they pray about things. And what they want the counselors to do is someone comes up and says, You know, I feel convicted that I should read my Bible more. And as the counselor, what your job is to do is to go to them and say, Well, how much have you been reading your Bible? What keeps you from reading your Bible? What, figure out the details and help those young men to come up with a plan of action with a detailed and plan of action that their pastor can keep them accountable to so what have you been doing here's what you need to do so that when they go home they have something that's going to stare them in the face I said I'm going to read the Bible more so And there was one young man I dealt with that said that. And so we worked on it, and I talked to him. He was only about 13 or so, and he hadn't been reading his Bible at all. And so I said, what you need to do is you need to make a decision to read one chapter of the New Testament every day until you finish it. And you need to start that while you're still here at camp. And it was a blessing to me that I checked back with him. It was the first day of camp that that, that I talked to him. And I checked back with him. And every day for the rest of camp, he was reading the New Testament. And he was doing his decision card even while he was already there at camp. And it was just a huge, that was a huge blessing to me. And not just him, but others with all kinds of different decisions. Just getting to help people take their conviction and translate it into action. And, and um, something that we all need to do, not just when you go to camp, but even right here, that's a good principle that would be good for me to learn, better than I have learned it, and for all of us to learn, is that when God convicts you about something, don't just say, I'm going to try to do better. Figure out what God actually wants you to do about that, and then obey Him and do that. And so, I was asked to give that testimony about camp, and then also to preach, at this point, a very brief message, but we'll see how quickly we can get through it. Father Lord, I come before you, I thank you for this opportunity to preach, Father Lord. I pray, Father Lord, for your name to be honored and glorified in all that is said, Father. I pray that thou wouldst give me brevity, Father Lord, and clarity, and may what I say be a blessing, and be your truth, in Christ's name I pray, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 in verse 39. It says there, Know therefore this day, and consider it in thine heart, that the Lord, He is God, in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. Thou shalt therefore keep His statutes and His commandments, which I command thee this day, and that it may go well with thee, and with thy children after thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. And we'll be focusing on the first verse there. Know therefore this day, and consider in thine heart, that the Lord, he is God, in heaven above, and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. How many of you remember back when you were teenagers, some of you still are teenagers, some of you are not yet teenagers, and this would still apply to you, your parents telling you, as long as you live in my house, you're going to follow my rules, as long as I'm paying for your food, you're going to eat what I put in front of you, as long as I'm paying for the clothes on your back, they're going to be clothes that I approve of well i think that no and i think that that is something that's a very common experience that if you had any kind of home life at all that would have been something you would have heard most likely on more than one occasion no matter how reasonable those rules were if you were a teenager and if you were being hearing those rules then you would have been a teenager I bet there were times, in fact, I know there were times when you longed to leave home just so you would no longer be subject to those house rules that your parents had for you, even if you understood that those rules were reasonable and right. You still, there's something in every young person that wants to leave home and see what it would be like if you had a different set of rules to follow. Even while you're still at home, there's rules that your parents had that while you're in this house... While you stay at home, here's things you do all the time. Well, while you're in the house, some people say you need to take your shoes off. Some people say you need to keep your shoes on. Some people say you need to wear socks or not wear socks or whatever it might be. There's different rules that apply while you're at home that didn't apply to you when you were at school. And if you left to go away to school, it was likely the same way that the school had rules and regulations that applied there. There were things you wouldn't dream of doing at school that would be perfectly acceptable at home, and things that would be acceptable at home in school that your friends would not approve of at all. And yet even when you finally got to leave home and you finished school and you were free from all of those rules, you probably found that you were just free. In fact you certainly found, if you live in society at all and have not yet been locked up, you found you were not just free from you were just free from those house rules, not from rules in general. If you go to work, there are regulations and company policies that you must abide by while you work at that company. And if you leave that company, you'll find, and you go to a different place of business, that there are rules you need to listen to your new place of business's rules and policies. And if you are so misguided as to think that the way to be truly free is to join the Marine Corps, you soon realize that there were far more rules there and far more house rules in the Marine Corps than you ever thought possible anywhere else. Yet each of these sorts of rules, whether they're difficult and, and very complicated and, and detailed like the Marine Corps or relatively easy, have one thing in common, and that is that they only apply to those areas of life that they have authority over. Your parents really only had real authority over you while you were living under their roof. Well, hopefully you learned wisdom and you learned to respect the wisdom that your parents had. You weren't obligated. No one forced you to apply their house rules to your workplace. The same is true for the rules you have at work. They don't, at least they don't normally, apply to what you do in the privacy of your own home. Unless you're stealing company data, then they would apply. And certainly the house rules of the Marine Corps do not apply to any other situation. Please do not try this at home. It will not help your relationships at any other environment other than the Marine Corps. Yet even though there is nothing, this is a common pattern that we see, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but even though there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, there is something very wrong with the tendency that we have as sinful human beings to apply this same sort of thinking to the way that we obey God. We tend to think that God has rules that apply to His house, that He has authority in some areas, in the religious, in the spiritual, in the somehow sacred parts of our lives, but not in the other parts. We think that the rules that God has are kind of house rules that apply to the church, but They don't apply to our workplace and they don't apply to our home life. The children of Israel faced the same temptation. They struggled with the same sort of thinking. You see, in the ancient Near East, it was thought that different gods had authority in different places. When by the grace of God, Ahab defeated the Syrian army, the Syrian generals got together and they said, The gods of the Israelites are gods of the hills, so let's fight them in the valleys and then we're going to win. That was the kind of way that they would have thought. It would be very easy for the children of Israel to think that God was Lord over Mount Sinai, but when they came into other places, or perhaps in other circumstances, there would be other gods whose laws they would need would need to be respected. In opposition to any such notion, God gave, gave them a message, a message that applies just as much to us today as it did to them back then. God is God everywhere. I know that this sounds simple, perhaps even trite, but that does not make it any less profound. God is not just Lord of the heavens, controlling the galaxies. He is Lord of the workplace, controlling your circumstances. He is not just Lord of the church, receiving the worship of the congregation, but He is Lord of the home, seeing your marital strife. God is present everywhere, and everywhere that He is present, He is God. I know that you all know this, and I doubt if there is anyone here that would even question it, but the more important question is whether you live like you believe it. It is so easy to treat God like just another earthly authority who has house rules for church stuff and let our boss determine the rules for work and our spouse determine the rules for home or ourselves determine the rules for home and our buddies determine our rules for entertainment entirely independent of the overarching lordship of God. That would be perfectly fine. ...if God was only God at church... ...or if He was only God in heaven... ...or only God when we were doing spiritual stuff... ...but that is simply not the case. God is Lord everywhere... ...in heaven and in earth. God has no competitors anywhere. Not only does God's authority extend everywhere... ...that authority is equally exclusive everywhere. God does not share His authority with anyone... There are not only no gods that are superior to God, there are simply no other gods, period. In order for someone to compromise, there has to be some measure of equality between those who are doing the compromise. Men can compromise because even if one of them is far more powerful than the other, they still have some, the the weaker party still has some of their power to give up in order to make some sort of bargain or some sort of bartering going on. God isn't like that. It's not like God has 90% of the authority in the world and the rest of it is split up among other competitors. It's not even like He has 99% of the authority and the rest of it is divided up. No, my friends, there is none else besides our God. None. He has no equals. He has no competition. He shares His authority with no one. All earthly authority is derived from Him not in competition with Him. It's hard even to think of an illustration to make this clear because there really is no analogous situation anywhere. God has absolute and total authority and there is no one anywhere whose opinions should even be taken into consideration if they differ in the slightest from what God has said. God demands obedience in everything. All this talk about God's authority isn't just some theoretical exercise of no practical value. No, it is very practical because the same God that has authority everywhere demands obedience in everything. He doesn't just want you to obey Him when you come to church. No, because His authority is equal everywhere, He demands equal obedience In everything, God doesn't sign off on exemptions. Human authorities do. There are many rules we make for ourselves. Rules of etiquette, rules of conversation and so forth that apply to some areas and not to others. God's laws aren't like that. From the boardroom to the bedroom, God wants us to obey Him because we will never go to a place to which His authority does not extend. Yet, we cannot be obedient on our own. Even as God gave these commands to the children of Israel, He knew that they would not be able to keep them. Moses knew that the children of Israel were not going to keep the law. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, on several separate occasions, God says, I know you've not yet been given a heart To obey these laws, I know you're going to disobey. I know you're not going to be able to keep the law. God knew that sinful human beings can't obey His law. We can't keep it perfectly. God demands perfect obedience. And the book of Isaiah says that even our best actions are as filthy rags in God's sight. If we could compartmentalize God's authority if we could separate it to just one area, to the spiritual things, if we could just get everything all itemized and organized and get God in a little box of our own making, then we might be able to keep His commandments. But we've already seen this is impossible. God demands perfect obedience everywhere, in everything. Without holiness, no man shall see the God. Without perfect obedience, there is no holiness this is where my message ended, if this was all that I had to say, it would truly be a hopeless case. And we would leave this evening desperate and miserable, conscious that God has authority everywhere, and conscious that we are continually breaking His laws, adding to the load of our guilt everywhere that we go. But glory to God, this is not where the story ends. God is not willing, God is not even able to remit one iota, one minutia, one tad little bit of His authority. There's no excess authority when it comes to God. Every bit is important. He cannot and He will not, and He's promised that He never will, soften one sentence in His law. He's not going to... ...remit and and give up his authority... ...he's not going to change the perfection of his law... ...but he did do and he will do... ...and he continues to do something far better. The book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 says... ...for as by one man's disobedience... ...many were made sinners... ...so by the obedience of one... ...shall many be made righteous. Because we could not be obedient on our own... ...God sent Jesus down to be obedient for us... Yet the story does not end there. Jesus was not just obedient because we could not be, though he was. He wasn't just obedient in our place, though he was obedient in our place, and that's very important. But he was also obedient so that we too could follow in his footsteps, so that we too could be ...righteous in our lives. He did not just suffer to enable us to escape the penalty of our sins... ...though He certainly did do that. Glory to God that He did that. But He also suffered that we could escape from the dominion of our sins. 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 21 says, "...For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, ...leaving us an example that ye should follow in His steps." You see, all the way back in the wilderness, God knew that the children of Israel would need to have a new heart in order to truly obey His commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6, God promised those children of Israel that there would come a day when He would circumcise their hearts. In Jeremiah 31, He made that promise more specific. And when Christ came, He made that promise fulfilled. Salvation is not just deliverance from the consequences of sin. It is also the implantation of a new nature. Therefore, if any man, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new because of the work of Christ, because of the saving work of Christ, we have the ability to obey God. Yes, we will still fail. Yes, there will still be times, even as believers, when we will mess up, up, but we no longer have to. We have become new creatures. We've been delivered from our bondage to sin. And because of that deliverance, because of the obedience of Christ, we can live righteously, in our everyday lives. See, here we have a God that demands perfect obedience, perfect obedience in everything because His authority extends everywhere and we fail and we can't measure up and we can't do it. And so God loved us so much that He sent down His Son to pay the price for the sins we've already committed, and then to change our natures so that we can be like His Son, so that we can be delivered from the dominion of that sin in our everyday lives. We no longer have to be conformed to this world, but we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might prove together what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we are true believers... We have no excuse. We have been delivered from the bondage of sin. We have been made new creatures and we have been given the power to live like it. Not just when that life is easy, but even when it seems impossible. Yet if you have never been born again, if you have never repented of your sins, of your rebellion against God, of your failure to give Him the glory He deserves... If you have never acknowledged that it would be perfectly just in Him to send you to hell for your wickedness and realize that He, he owes you absolutely nothing and yet admitted that He was your only hope, and flew to Him for mercy and pardon, and then received it. That's salvation. If you've, that's what the Bible describes salvation as being. If you've never received that kind of salvation, then you are in a most miserable condition. You are in the miserable condition that we would be at if the story had stopped when we were talking only about the demands of God to be perfectly obedient to Him. No matter where you go, you will not escape God's authority, and no matter what you do, you will be adding to the load of guilt and shame and sin that you are already under before a holy and a righteous God. God rules everywhere, and He must be obeyed in everything, but if you are separated from His grace, you cannot truly obey Him in anything. You may be able to leave your parents' home and leave their house rules behind, but you can't leave God's house, you can't escape from His rules, and you cannot escape the penalty for breaking them. He is Lord everywhere, and the only way to escape His judgment is to fly to Him for mercy. He has never rejected one sinner yet, and He has promised that He never will. If you are yet an unbeliever, you need to fly to Him and receive pardon for your sins and a new nature that will enable you to glorify God by obeying Him. If you are a believer, you still must fly to Him for strength to obey. You cannot get out of God's house. You cannot escape His authority. And so it's time to start obeying His rules. God has not only made clear to us what He wants from us, He has given us the ability to do it. He has done everything that's necessary. And it's time for us to start obeying His commandments. Father, Lord, I come before You this evening and I just pray, Father, Lord, that the words that I have said would be blessed to those that are here, Father, Lord. That Your name would be magnified. I pray they would come home to my heart as well, Father. Christ's name I pray. Amen.